Annyeong haseyo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight. We are Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Halley wave all the way to shore? So grab some deck bokey and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. How's everyone doing? Fantastic. So we wanted to kind of just shout out to some of the listeners who have been messaging us or reviewing us. We really do get a lot of interaction on Instagram. And I don't think I can express fully how happy that makes us like every single time, even like if you just respond to like a poll with a yes or no, it we know and we're just so happy you're engaging with us. So recently, we got a really nice email. And I think I'm just going to say her first name just because that's really not identifiable in case she doesn't want us to say her full name. But her name's Hannah and she wrote us the nicest email about our second male lead SOS pod episode, which I think we got we got a lot of great feedback about that. So I can tell you right now we're definitely going to do another episode giving more second male leads their happily ever afters. So let us watch a couple more K-dramas and get our list together and we'll be doing that again. But anyway, so her email says, all your episodes have been great and the recent one giving second male leads their own deserved storylines was phenomenal. I laughed so hard that I cried, in public of course. It was Leah's belief in aerodynamic engineering following the Chabal pilot plot point that set me off. I haven't actually seen any of those shows and it did not matter. You hit on such good tropes while also coming up with hair-raising plot twists. If you find anyone to produce them, I would get a Vicky subscription just for the purpose of watching your plots come to life. And I just want to say thank you because that was an extremely nice email. We obviously do pride ourselves in being able to plot things out, but we're still vain authors and we love praise. So... So keep telling us how good we are. Megan's been drinking the truth serum tonight. (laughs) But yeah, and we've we've gotten a a couple nice reviews lately. And we had a listener on Twitter recently who listened to our run on episode. And she said that our podcast really helped her understand that it is quiet dramas that she likes instead of like more epic ones. And that's totally cool because we obviously all have our own preferences. And I'm kind of glad that she was able to come to that realization a bit based on our pod. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. We just are so happy when you guys engage with us. And it's been very exciting. Yeah, it's true. And I feel like we went from having this like text chat about K-dramas to just very impulsively saying we should do a podcast talking about this, even though we have no experience doing podcasting. And it's been fun. And honestly, I've just really enjoyed getting to engage with both of you more in I know we're not in person, but it feels I don't know, it just feels nice. I really look forward to this every week. Me too. And Leah and Amy, should we mention I forgot about this. Should we mention the sponsor? <laughs> yes. Oh my god, thank you. I knew there was something. Oh my I knew god. There oh was my something. God. Do you have the response yes. right now? Okay, so yes. let me just give some context. So we all kind of like do monitor social media, but I would say that like 80% of the time I'm kind of handling the Instagram account. And last weekend we had our very first and look, I am not trying to be mean about this. This brought me nothing but joy, all of us joy. We had our first kind of like tentative pitch to see if we'd be interested in doing some sponsorship. And the key is who wants does anyone else want to say the name just because it's so glorious? I'm good. You go for it. You go for it. Okay, it was smooth my balls. <laughs> That's right. The company is called smooth 
my balls. <laughs> and they are ball sack shavers. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I was like, huh, like that seems like an odd pitch to like, we're clearly, you know, a woman run podcast and none of us are women who do need to shave our sacks. And so I was confused. And then I was thinking about it and was like, I guess though, like how many dudes are going to be like, yeah, I need to shave my sack. It's going to be like someone in their life being like, honey, there's a lot happening down there. And that forest is a lot for me to get through. Please smooth your balls. And I was like, then it just all made sense to me. So, well, we, yeah. yeah, I mean, the best part was that, like, they were like, we can send you a review kit. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> how do we review it? And we're then not your demo. Have called the pube muncher, which could yeah. clean up your uh, messy pubes that might have made their way into the stink. And I just kept thinking, you know, as much as this is hilarious, truly, I cannot see myself like week in, week out being like taking little breaks to be like. Brought to you by Smooth My Balls. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, oh it's God, so Amy's, Amy's voice. Amy's like an announcer voice. Oh my God, please say that again. Brought to you by Smooth My Balls. <laughs> oh my God, Amy. Megan, do you have the response that yes. we need? So here they are getting free publicity from us now. They are. Truly, please do. Please do go check out Smooth yeah. My Balls because the copy on their website is truly amazing. They have a good Glorious. sense of humor. And so did Leah in her response to them. So Yeah, so Leah, well, she's always been like kind of excellent with puns. But yeah, so she yeah, I've wrote, never met a pun I didn't really like. So she wrote back to them and I have the response. So I'll read it. But the credit goes to Leah, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I can read this. And she did legitimately write this back. They didn't respond, but, you know. Sadly. I thought they really would. Yeah, we were kind of hoping to strike up a dialogue with Smooth My Balls. Anyway, dear Smooth My Balls, unfortunately, when it comes to our listeners, we taint a great fit. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't laugh at my own stuff. It's so unclassy. (laughs) Okay, okay. So we're groin to have to pass. (laughs) okay okay but thanks for reaching out we find your copy to be nuts in the best of ways (laughs) best wishes afternoon a delight podcast i mean i haven't gotten to use the word taint in a long time i mean anytime you can use taint in a professional setting is just a great day so this episode of afternoon delight podcast is brought to you by smooth my balls (laughs) they get a freebie this week yeah there you go smooth my balls we gave you a freebie we don't need the review kit just keep it keep it we're good (laughs) speaking of smooth and we do want to get into uh lee gone who's also quite smooth oh my god i can't believe that this is on the king episode i know sorry (laughs) lee gone is the king of korea with a c a country that's in many ways similar to the Republic of Korea, except it's a parallel universe with a constitutional monarchy. His citizens respect him, and he is well-regarded as a mathematician and competitive rower. But his fetching appearance hides a deeply wounded soul. When Lee Gon was only eight years old, tragedy struck. 
His father was murdered before his eyes by his half-uncle, Li Lim, who was seeking ownership of a magical flute possessed by the king called Man Pasukchuk, which holds supernatural powers. Li Gong ended up cutting the flute in half while trying to save his own life. While he was being choked to death, an unknown person in black who dropped an identity card with a woman's picture and the name Zhang Tae-ul saved his life. Li Lim escapes with half the flute to Korea with a K, a.k.a. the South Korea we know, and discovers it's full of doppelgangers from Korea with a C. This means he can do some convoluted evil doing as he plots to exact revenge. Lee Gon treasures Jung Tae-il's ID card and wonders who is the woman who saved his life. Flash forward to present day. Lee Gon is very taken by an Alice in Wonderland type of white rabbit metaphor. He ends up in a bamboo forest where he finds a portal, all while on horseback. He enters some sort of no man's land outside of time and space that has red balloons floating in the air and lightning striking in the distance. And then he ends up in downtown Seoul, in this world, where he runs into a cop who is, surprise, surprise, Jung Tae-ul, the woman he's always been seeking. Confused? Yeah, well, saddle up because we are going to be deep diving The King Eternal Monarch, a Netflix drama that came with a hefty 25 million US dollar price tag. It's a visual feast to be sure, definitely a bit of a mindfuck, and not without controversy. Please note, this episode contains spoilers, so you have been warned. Before we get started, I just want to throw out something that I've been thinking about since we did our villains episode, and that is the pronunciation of the king's villain, his uncle Lee Lim. And when we recorded our villains episode, I was pronouncing the name as Lee Rim with an R, and today I'm saying it is Lee Lim with an L. And the problem is that in Korean, in Hangul, the L and R sounds come from the same consonant, which is called real. And it is kind of between an L and an R. And in my very minimal so far teaching myself of Hangul, I've been trying to learn when you use the L and when you use the R. And sometimes it's a little bit confusing because even when Koreans make the sort of R sound, it still sounds a little bit more like a rolled R, which is more like an L. Anyway, the rule of thumb, I guess, is what I've been reading about today is that the consonant, when it is between two vowels, then it usually has the English R sound. However, if it's at the beginning or end of a word or precedes a consonant, it'll have more of an English L sound. So really, this is all just to say that I am trying my best to appreciate the Korean language and pronounce it the best that I can. We all are. But I just wanted to point out that I may have pronounced it wrong in the villains episode, and I may be pronouncing it wrong tonight, but that I do know that it is the same letter that makes the sound. And so we're just going to go with Lee Lim for tonight since it does come at the beginning of the name. That's also interesting to me because I noticed that when native Korean speakers speak English, English, they pronounce the like all sound like in special or old they pronounce it almost with an r like it's almost like a roll it is it's like a rolled r with an yeah. l that's definitely the way that they see that consonant so actually i'm really glad you brought that up because it makes a little bit more sense now why i hear that type of sound when they're speaking that consonant and what I also find is interesting, and I think I brought this up like way, way back in one of our earliest episodes, is actors who have like the last name Lee, like Lee Min Ho or Lee Dong Wook, that actually when you spell out the Lee in Hangul, it's not an L sound at the beginning. It's actually just the consonant that has no sound, and it's just the sound E, so it'd be like E Min Ho rather mm -hmm. than Lee. And so I don't know what happens when we sort of translate it and sort of Americanize it, but we add our own sounds to it, I think, to, for us to be able to pronounce things better. But yeah, I was kind of looking around on different sort of K-drama websites 
in preparing for the show and seeing how they write it and how they sort of phoneticize it. And it's kind of 50-50 what I've been finding is either saying Lee Rim or Lee Lim because it is actually like somewhere between there, how you would pronounce it kind of thing. So anyway. Cool. Thank you for that. That's my little spiel about Hangul for tonight. (laughs) So getting back into it. King the Eternal Monarch is full of parallel worlds, doppelgangers, and time travel. What were your overall thoughts on the drama in terms of ambition? And do you think writer Kim Eun-suk and her writing team were successful or not? This drama has left many critics polarized. So what do you all think? Was this show fantastic or a flop? So let's get to it. To me, look, I'm going to say it was a flop. And a less amazing flop than Tale of the Nine-Tailed, which was also enjoyable. But for me, I felt like once Tale of the Nine-Tailed went off the rails, I became delighted in many ways by the level of like what the fuckery that we achieved by the end of that drama. And in King, I felt like I was quite invested, but... Like, I felt like it was always a little bit distant to me. The chemistry between Lee Gon and Zhou Young, I felt that way more than I did between Lee Gon and Ta'ul. Heck, I felt chemistry more between Lee Gon and Maximus, the white horse. <laughs> so to me, I don't think the story ultimately came together in a way I was satisfied with. And that was a bummer to me. However, I absolutely still think it's worth a watch because Lee Min Ho was truly the king. Wudo Wan was darling and just oozed talent the whole way. And look, honestly, I'm 10 out of 10 always going to want more random horse riding in modern times. I might not want to be the one riding the horse, but I'm into it. And so yeah, when it comes to like Kim on Sook, you know, Goblin is my top drama, honestly. So like props to that. But to me, like, I think I was like comparing it when I was watching it to like my feels in Goblin. And this one just to me didn't come close in terms of feels romance or even the original soundtrack. If you know me or even if you don't, but you listen to this podcast, you know that I am a Lee Min Ho fangirl like, whoa. While that may not say anything about Kim Eun-suk's writing directly, it was this drama that made me fall in love with my bae, Lee Min Ho. This was a plot to behold, ambitious AF, and I had super high expectations after Kim Eun-suk's masterpiece, Goblin, which is also my top of the top along there with you, Leah. Did it hit every note perfectly? No. But did it blow my mind with what it did get right? Absolutely. Tackling time travel is a feat in and of itself, but this writing team did time travel parallel universes and use the idea of doppelgangers so well, especially with Joe and Sub and Joe Young, played masterfully by Wudo Hwan. So I think what I'm getting at is that this drama was fantastic with a capital F, even though I would 100% rewrite the ending and did so on our snack episode of endings that we wish we could rewrite. You know, I'm going to agree with Leah in that I didn't feel the same chemistry between the leads in this drama as I did with Goblin, but I'm trying not to do the comparison game, which is really super hard because Goblin is my top of the top. But I do think that because there was so much going on in this drama that Lee Gon and Ta'ol did not get enough screen time together. And I think that that did show in their chemistry, but still there was enough for me that I fell for their love story and I was in it 100%. And let's be honest, the real love story of the show is between you and Lee Min Ho. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where the chemistry was. So this is true. And I feel like that's a little bit, you know, coloring my review of (laughs) of the show. Absolutely. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie about that. But I mean, he really, like you said, he was the king. Like this was the first drama that we saw him in. And we'll talk more about this later. And just something shifted, something clicked inside me. <laughs> your, and it your will, great chart grew three times. It sizes. will never, ever be the same. <laughs> 
So I feel like I'm between you two in that there were definitely some things that prevented me from fully loving it. But then, as Amy said, there were some moments that were so great that it would make me say to someone, you need to watch this drama. Like, despite the issues I had with it, it still was an incredibly worthy drama. And there are scenes I would absolutely watch again. I'm not a big time travel person. I never have been, but I do love Parallel Universe and I love Doppelgangers. And I would say where this drama fell flat for me was the time travel element. So I'm not always sure if that was me, like my own personal prejudice, I guess, against time travel, or if really was the drama that let me down. But I just felt sometimes the time travel got super messy at the end. I mean, I was actually really thinking that this drama was gaining ground. And then I think it was like episode 14 hit and I just felt like it fell apart. And that disappointed me so greatly because we all have said like it was building up to something and then kind of let us down at the end. But I still think viewers should watch it. I think that there are just so many amazing K-drama moments that you want your eyeballs to see. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you want 16 hours of Lehman Ho. You just do. Like and, and you would and, and Wudo Wan. Yeah. And you want Wudo Wan. Like, I mean, we will get there, but and Maximus. Me, I'm going for a team Maximus. Okay. Well, <laughs> Wudo Wan like stole the show for me. So we will get there. And actually, before we get there, just a few friendly reminders. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, please leave us a review and tell us something you liked about the show. We aren't here to just talk to ourselves. So we want to make sure we're giving you the content you enjoy. Also, follow us on Instagram at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it onto the pod book recs, behind the scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. And if you want to message us about anything you heard on the show, email us at Afternoon of Delight Podcast at gmail.com. So Amy, I feel like this show was quite pivotal for you as it sent you into your own Alice in Wonderland-esque rabbit hole of Lee Min Ho. So can you talk to us a little bit more about what was it about Lee Min Ho's performance and the role of Lee Gon that captivate you? And where has this journey taken you since then? It's definitely taken me down my own rabbit hole. I, I fully admit that. So what's funny is that Lee Min Ho isn't what drew me to this drama. Like Leah, you and I were both trying to decide which drama to watch next. Because of our goblin love, we wanted to work our way through Kim and Suk's list. And we were deciding between Descendants of the Sun and King. And as soon as I saw that Kim Go On was the lead and that King was Kim Eun Suk's latest drama, I was sold. Plus, I wanted to see what all the hype was about with this Lee Min Ho guy that seems to be one of the most popular actors in South Korea. And I think what really got me about him is what you said before, is that he truly was a king in this. He was regal and stately and super like subdued, yet commanded respect. But behind closed doors, he was also very funny and endearing with those who served him in the palace. I loved that Joe Young was the first to comfort Lee Gon when he was mourning his murdered father when they were children. And then fast forward to the present day, and Young is Lee Gon's head of security, right-hand man, and still his best friend. So you see that there's like this enduring sort of loyalty with you know friendship there, and that he wasn't just this sort of untouchable king, but that he was a person who connected with other people. But really, I think I just fell for the whole package. I think Lee Min Ho, as Lee Min Ho, you know, playing whatever role he's in, he just has a certain something that just gets me in in all the feels. And maybe that's why for me, this drama, you know, wasn't a flop as far as the romance. Maybe it was me, you know, being romanced by Lee Min Ho instead of Tae Ol. But either way, you know, the first thing that I texted Leah after I watched the first episode was you need to see him act. As soon as you do, you'll understand what I mean. And you're going to like fall in love with him. 
And Leah agreed because we didn't know him from anything. All we knew is that he was going to be in Pachinko. And Leah has read and loved Pachinko. And you, and you can talk more about that. And I'm going to read Pachinko before the drama drops. But you were so like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be this, you know, very pivotal character in Pachinko. And I want to see what he's all about. And it really was just this as soon as you see him hit the screen, there's just something happens. Something happens to me. Okay. <laughs> So then I followed the White Rabbit to Legend of the Blue Sea, to Boys Over Flowers, Personal Taste, Heirs slash Inheritors, whatever interpretation we're doing of the title. And now I own the City Hunter DVDs and will soon watch when I'm done with my current drama, most likely. King is still my favorite performance of Lehman Hose, but I will watch anything that he's in without a question. Yeah, so this was my first Lee Minho drama, and I was obviously very behind the eight ball because Amy and Leah had already seen him in several roles. So I, you know, I'd seen pictures of him, and I wasn't necessarily captivated by him. But that's fine. But watching him act, as Amy just said, it it really is a whole nother story. He really, really does have an incredible presence on scene, and it's not just because he's tall. Like it just, he really does admit this like kingly presence. It was crazy, and watching him ride his horse through the tide on the beach, like. I remember tweeting, I mean, that was female gaze all the way. This like slow-mo shot that's like the wind in his hair and his horse's mane. And, I, you know, so thank you to whoever decided that that scene was going to go in the drama. So thank you. A plus casting for me, for Lee Min Ho. I really can't see another person in this role as Lee Gon. Well, let's play a little bit of a game here. Lee Min Ho is Lee Gon. <laughs> Marry, mate, or murder? Yes, yes, and no. Wait, did I do it wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to marry a mathematician, so let's just mate. I can see what all the fuss is about, but apparently (laughs) Park Min Young got on the set of City Hunter. (laughs) Oh my gosh, look at you dropping the tea. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to mop up that tea and say, look, I don't think I really want to marry a mathematician or mate a mathematician, but I would happily marry a king, especially a king like this who is pretty self-occupied. This is a guy full of hobbies. So I really feel like I'd have time to do my own thing too. He does have a lot of hobbies. He does. Yeah, I really he respect would be his hobby great, game. He'd be a great goblin. because he has- <laughs> Yeah, he could do immortality real well. I mean, <laughs> Eternal Monarch, they might be hinting at that at some point. Maybe and he's already his- ahead of the game because he has no horse phobia. <laughs> yeah, he does. You have to listen to our goblin episodes where Leah talks. We talk a lot about immortality and Leah talks about having a horse phobia and how she said that uh, the secret to happy immortality is just more hobbies. So time to work on horse phobias. So what are all y'all's thoughts on the romance and chemistry between Lee Gon and Tae-Ul, who is played by Kim Go-Un of the Goblin fame? So I think we've kind of been getting towards the fact that I might be a bit biased here. But, you know, we know that Kim and Suk can tear out our heart and stitch it back together because she did this to us countless times in Goblin. I don't think I've ever shed so many tears. And I'll watch that drama again and I'll do it all over again because third time's a charm. But Legon and Taeol's love wasn't as tragic. It wasn't like the sad love that Kim Shin and Untak had. So it didn't hit me quite as hard. But I did buy the romance. I did have some feels. And like I said earlier, I think because of the parallel world situation that the romantic leads didn't get to spend as much time together as I wanted them to, which I think would have pulled me in more to the romance. But on the same token, I was so invested in the whole conflict between Lee Gon and Lee Rim that it didn't bother me so much that the romance seemed a little bit secondary to the sort of fantastical stuff that was going on. Yeah, I really wasn't feeling the romance till the end. But as Amy said, there was so much 
going on that I was kind of okay with that to a degree. And I guess I was holding out hope that at the end, I would start to really have some feels. And I did. So I would say toward the last few episodes, I didn't feel as much like romantic chemistry, but I did start to feel this genuine mutual respect between the two leads, between Ligon and Taeul. And I like that. I mean, I could see them as partners. So I didn't think they had crazy chemistry or passion, but but that was okay too. There was so much going on. So to have a slow burn or sweeter romance worked okay for me in the end. But I mean, I will say, you know, I don't know. I finished King like last week or something, two weeks ago. And the romance isn't something that stuck with me. Like when I think about King, I actually don't. That's not what I think about. There's a lot of other like amazing scenes and everything and some characters that stuck out to me, but the romance was just eh, kind of there in the background, even though it was supposed to be in the forefront. Yeah. And I think it wasn't just like, for me, I didn't feel like a super, I didn't vibe on the chemistry. Okay. But like, I felt like there was something off with the pacing because I felt like he kind of like entered the world of Korea with a K and interacts with Taeul and like you know he's been looking for this person so obviously he's carrying a lot of like you know there's a lot of emotional weight coming from him and I feel like he kind of goes all in quite quickly which I liked and you know she's living in you know our world and this dude comes in with like diamond encrusted buttons on his jacket on a white horse you know and talking all sorts of nonsense in her mind so she's kind of like I don't even know what the hell's going on with this guy. Like, is he insane? Like, what is the deal? And so I felt like that goes on for quite a while and probably went on for maybe a little bit. Like, it went on too long for me. Where I felt like he was kind of like, I'm into you. And she was just kind of like, oh, this is crazy. And then I just felt like there was this big shift where she like finally realizes like, yes, he's this like dimension traveler. And immediately she's like, just go straight to like that Sarangay like yeah. moment kind of like you talked about the end of it one class like yeah. i was like they're like i just didn't buy it like it was just kind of like oh yeah i do love you and i was just like i think i needed to see like i needed to see her emotional like i i mean i didn't need to see his as much because he was coming from this like history of like always having this id card and thinking about her she didn't have that context and i think i just needed to see that shift clear to me of like look i get i mean look at him like <laughs> You know, like, I'd love him too. But she was like resisting, resisting, resisting. And then just kind of like, <laughs> there wasn't enough buildup of her feelings because you're right. Like his feelings were building for literally 25 years. And she, yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I think that was a big part of it as well. Yes, 100%. And, and the whole point where she was like, oh, creepy guy that went on too long. They needed to like speed that up. Yeah, agreed. All right. So who deserves the other half of Lee God's best friends forever necklace? Joe Young or Maximus? <laughs> this is such a mean question, Leah. And you already made me answer it on Instagram a while back because we did this as an Instagram poll. And I think that I might have said Joe Young back then. But you know what? I'm going to flip to Maximus now because Joe Young will always have Joe and Sub as his bromance BFF. <laughs> no, I'm going to defend Joe Young <laughs> deserves the entire world. He gets the necklace. That's just all there is to it for me. And I do love evil questions. I'm like Lilum. But I think I'm going for Maximus because together, you know, Legon and Maximus put together one of the greatest scenes of all time in K-drama, which Facts. Amy, can you tell us again the <laughs> episode and uh, time stamp? 
yes. So speaking of watching parts of this drama over and over again, I think that I have watched the end of episode 11, beginning of episode 12, countless times at this point. And so I feel like this, you know, whether or not you think King is fantastic or a flop, I think we're just going to title this podcast episode, Amy Gushes Like a Goober Over the King Eternal Monarch because of this one episode. <laughs> so I believe it was in our endings episode that I said it was one hour and eight minutes into episode 11. Teol is bloodied, beaten, drugged, and has just almost been flattened by a white truck of death because we did say that there are some great K-drama cliches in here. Lilam's goons are there ready to snatch her once more and she's in the middle of the streets of Busan in Korea with a C, barely able to stand, and then you see it. Lee Gon atop Maximus, leading the charge with his mounted security detail behind him. The music is goblin-esque, making my heart race and then Lee Gon draws his sword and says, protect her, she is the future queen of the kingdom of Korea as he starts to slash the baddies in his wake. When he finally gets to Taeol, he hops off Maximus, runs to her, and scoops her into his arms. And that is when she basically, you know, has her last conscious breath and passes out in his arms. And it is, by and large, my favorite scene in all of K-Dramalandia. Full stop. Mic drop. Yeah, I mean... I, I like I don't have an I don't have another favorite scene. I mean, I would say any scene my runner up to that scene is any scene with Unsub because I just loved him more than was healthy. But what Amy mentioned was incredible. And the thing is, I had actually seen like a gif of that. It just it came up in like my Twitter timeline or something. I was kind of annoyed because I'm like, oh, my God, did that ruin it for me? But it didn't. Like watching the context of the episode, because first of all, I, I didn't know the context when I saw the gif. So I hadn't known that Taeol was like <laughs> she's been through, yeah, she, been through some shit before yeah, she was that. like a little human scab at that point she was <laughs> and so as she had like that acting that she did in the middle of the street when she like raises the gun at the like advancing bad guys was crazy i mean you could just feel her desperation and her like she had just fought so hard for so long and now she was completely outnumbered and so when he when legon comes riding on maximus it was also just the beautiful shot it was like overhead and it's this white horse and he's just slashing at guys dressed in all black and it was just it was amazing the music was amazing his voice what he like yells you know she's a future queen of king of korea it was just it was epic I, like i'm saying i know that the drama is what 16 20 episodes 16 i mean it's worth 16 hours watching all of it just for that scene because it, it was it was that cool and i think i want to amend my earlier claim that i don't want to marry a mathematician because also one of my favorite lines, like pickup lines ever that I've ever heard was in this drama. And it was just straight up pure math nerdness. So Ligon tells Taeul she's a zero. And that's not because she's a nothing, but it's because there's such power inherent to that number that it amplifies any number it's behind. So to me, that's like some panty dropping line right there. That's and, hot math. Yeah, yep, right? Agreed. Hot, hot agreed. Math. And then... Here's another thing, too. It's like this K-drama, like you said, like, even if I didn't, like, fully love it, there's such epic moments, which is why I do think people need to watch it. And for me, I think I would also be remiss if I did not shout out the second hottest moment of this K-drama, which is when Lee Gon is in his white military uniform, standing next to his BFF, Joe Young, who's in his hot black military uniform. And they're on this massive, like, air carrier staring down a Japanese incursion 
and he's just bringing this like straight up big dick energy to that scene <laughs> that Absolutely. is like yeah right like when i was watching that episode because i was like a couple episodes ahead of leah i think or, or did i finish it like and then you watched it on your own i think we were kind of we were neck and neck it bare, like you were ahead of me yeah. for sure though. i think it was a few episodes ahead because i got to that episode first and i just took a picture of my <laughs> tv screen with lee Min ho and wudo Juan next to each other in their uniforms and i'm like so this is coming <laughs> i mean like, that's 25 million dollars look i do think i wish that they had used some of that money to like tie up some of the plot holes that we're gonna get to <laughs> but look if you're gonna have to put money somewhere put it in some big scenes where lee Min some Ho big female gaze yeah. yeah commit to some bananas that's happening and that's the thing is like i never felt like he i mean it's so over the top but i felt like the entire time every time he was in those super over the top moments he was just fully committing as an actor to the bananas that was around him so that I could buy into the bananas. And I appreciate that. I mean, it's true. So I think this is a little off topic, but so when I watched Tale of the Nine-Tailed, for some reason, I felt like we were all a little in on it. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like we all knew it was bananas. Although the actors fully committed, they knew it was bananas. Like they fully knew and they like went full bananas. And I still feel like Lee Min Ho was still trying to maintain like respectable. (laughs) I think that's a good. Well, the plot is like literally like burning around him. You know what I mean? And he's still like, I'm the king of Korea. And it's like, well, you know what, buddy? Your kingdom's a little messed. So I... (laughs) I agree. I really, I think that actually sums up exactly what I was trying to convey earlier. Yeah. I I didn't realize that was where I was going with it. I think Lee Yoon in Tale the Nine Towns, like, I know this is crazy. By the end, yeah. I felt like he was like, yeah, whatever. Like, whatever. I got an umbrella (laughs) with a sword. I know it's crazy. Just go with it, you know? I pretended to need a dentist. Like, whatever. I had a pretend root canal. Exactly. Whereas Lehman Ho's like, you know, I am king. Lee Gone would never fake a root canal. No. No. (laughs) And I felt like he stayed committed to the bananas to the very end. And now we have our favorite segment of the week, which is RK Recommendation. And today we have Merch with Amy. Okay, so today I'm going to be sharing an Etsy shop. And the Etsy shop is called A Korean Addict. So if you went to Etsy and typed in all one word, A Korean Addict, you would find this lovely Etsy shop that basically has a lot of merch with quotes from your favorite dramas printed on them. I'm a huge collector of mugs, and so there is just a plethora of mugs on this shop. It's not just mugs, but I am all about the mugs. And so I really love that there's a lot of King merch here. But yeah, whatever your favorite K-drama is, I bet you're going to find something on A Korean Addict. And let me just share one of my favorite ones that I found for King that I want to, of course, purchase for myself. And it has one of my favorite quotes on it. And it is in one of the scenes where Taeol has been waiting for Lee Gone for a while. And he comes and shows up. And she can tell that he's coming from a different time, that he's not just coming from a different universe, that there's something going on with time travel here. And he brings her flowers and he says, I realized that I never even gave you a single flower. That's why I crossed the universe for you. Oh my God. All right. I'm buying that. (laughs) Anyway, lots of fun stuff on A Korean Addict on Etsy, but that is the one that I am putting in my shopping cart before we finish this podcast. So that is the Etsy shop, A Korean Addict for all of your fun K-drama quote needs. So what happens in the plot hole stays in the plot hole. What's a plot hole you've fallen into on the show and can't get out of? 
Okay, I've got two. One's short, one's a little longer because I wanted to bring it to all of you to talk about, but then also like get some background story because I knew there was like context that we were missing watching it. So first off, I want to talk about how one of the secondary characters was the bubble tea shop owner, Nuri. She has not one, but two Aston Martins. And look, the most affordable Aston Martin I could find online because I had to look up because I know these cars are not cheap. So the cheapest, most baseline model of this vehicle costs about $150,000. That's about 170 million Korean won. So that's a shit ton of bubble tea that she's got to be selling. (laughs) And I need to ponder like getting into the bubble tea franchise if that's how you get to roll. Because there was just no context. She just has these like freaking sweet cars and then just kind of like owns this whatever bubble tea shop. And two cars. Like, why does she need two? (laughs) No, no context, no explanations. Just and like, there's no other signs of vast wealth with her. So and this tea shop is like this little like hole in the wall. kind of Like it's cute inside, but it's this tiny little shop. So me thinks there's some product placement. Maybe I don't know if Aston Martin was like, look, we got to get all in on like the new Kim on suck. So we're going to park these and then they park the cars just outside in front of the bubble tea shop. Next to where the horse gets tied up half the time when he's like in the world of Korea with a K. So anyway. Okay. And then secondly, and more seriously, the yo-yo kid. So, okay. We've all seen, and we have talked on this podcast doing episodes on Goblin that Kim Eun-suk is the same writer. And in Goblin, we do see she has this propensity to write about powerful gods who move through human realms and human form. And in King Eternal Monarch, this shows up again, but essentially as one of those Deuces Machina. Amy, am I saying that right, Teacher Amy? Deus Ex Machina. I can never say that word. Deus you don't want, Ex you don't Machina. Want to say, you don't want to say Deuce. Deuce. <laughs> <laughs> you can just leave that all in. I literally can never remember how to say this word. I only can read it. But basically, remember, Deus Ex Machina is when there's like a character who shows up without context to just kind of like change the story. And so apparently what it is, is the Yo-Yo Kid is the flute, the broken flute, except it's like the sentient side of the flute. (laughs) So when the flute is in half, Yogo Kid doesn't have that many powers. He can help Taeul escape from the bad guys, but he's also just kind of like this rugrat kid with the yo-yo. Then when the flute is made whole, Yo-Yo Boy turns more into Yo-Yo Man and has this like quite sexy glow up. And gets back into his god bod. And then he has more powers. And then basically just gets to work changing a whole crap ton of fates. Hence why I think he is a pretty contrived deus ex machina. Also, there's like metaphors with the yo-yo string that seems to give a nod. I know that we said that like at one point in one of the podcasts, obviously we're not going to have a lot of like Greek or Roman retellings in South Korean dramas. But I do feel like this one gave a nod to the three fates of Greek mythology who respectively spin the string of human life. Then there's another who allots its length and then the last one cuts it. And Yo-Yo Kid seems to kind of be bundling up all those fates into like being one God, but then none of this is ever really explained. And that bugs me. Like I don't need a PowerPoint to spell out all of this stuff, but I also don't want to be Googling around after a drama's finished because the writers couldn't be bothered to give us clarity. To me, that's lazy writing and plotting. So sorry, but not sorry. Yeah. I had the same issues with Yo-Yo Kid. It was just never explained. It felt like Deus Ex Mox and we need to god in the machine a dem 
<laughs> Look, he's a dem. He's a dem. <laughs> so yeah, that that irked me too. So my biggest issue was so in the end, after Ligon gets the full flute, so after he defeats Lelim, and we get him like traveling through time and worlds to get back to Teul, his Teul, like that he had left. Okay, so this was never explained. Like, I, all of a sudden, there are like a bunch of multiple worlds now. Like, that was never, there were never multiple worlds before. Like, every time he passed through the portal, he would always either be in the Republic of Korea with a K, where Teul was, or he'd be back in the Kingdom of Korea with a C. And then all of a sudden, at the end, there's all these like multiple worlds with multiple doppelgangers. And I didn't, understand why and i i mean i guess because he had the full flute now that he could access more worlds but that was never explained and it really drove me crazy that was a little bit where i felt like the drama started to go off the rails for me it seemed like those worlds were different versions of the republic of korea like all of them except for his kingdom of korea right like all all the worlds (laughs) where he accidentally ended up in and found the wrong taeol he knew it wasn't the right Republic of Korea. So yeah, it makes no sense that he could only go between two worlds. And and again, yeah, maybe it is the full flute. But again, if you have the full flute, wouldn't you also have like full control of where you're going? Right. Part of me felt like they wrote the end first. So they had very specific ideas of how they wanted the drama to end. So they wanted this montage of him traveling through different worlds. And then at the very end, they wanted these montage. They apparently like montages. They wanted a montage of Taeul and Ligon like traveling together through all different time periods. And time through traveling. the multiverse. And yeah. the multiverse, yeah. Right. So I feel like they wanted that. But then they wrote the rest of the drama and kind of like forgot. And then they got to episode 14. And they were like, oh shit, but we already wrote the end. So now we got to somehow make it work. That's how it felt to me. It just felt like they almost like forgot how they wanted it to end, but then they had to like make it fit. Well, then they were like, here's a yo-yo boy who literally just does. Here's a yo-yo boy. We're going to have him like save you. And then he's going to do a bunch of other stuff. So again, I still liked it, but clearly there were issues. Right. It wasn't set up ahead of time. And then all of a sudden it was just thrown at us. And I agree with both of what you're bringing up or with all of what you're bringing up. And I want to add to that. Speaking of the portal. What in the world is the in-between place in between one world and another? In between the gates with the balloons. Because in this in-between place, supposedly there's no air, but they can breathe. There's like weird gravity because the balloons are like not floating away. They're like floating around. And when Teul is trapped in this sort of in-between the portal type thing with Lee Lim and she aims the gun to shoot him. He's like, you can't shoot me here because of the lack of regular gravity. And she shoots and then she is able to shoot him. And then they are able to breathe. I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> and I why don't... did the balloons keep multiplying? Every time he'd go through, there were just more and more red balloons. Right, I, where were they, they coming from? And why a, why a red balloon? There was like no red balloon significance. The red, Like, I kept waiting for there to be like a red balloon moment somewhere. <laughs> Remember when Unsub though like left just holding a random red balloon? <laughs> like, like he's like, I'm gonna take this with me. <laughs> like shouldn't like shouldn't like Yo Yo Boy have had something to do with the balloons or something? You know, yeah. like I don't. And they shouldn't have been able to breathe. Like like right. Maximus had this. His like beautiful mane was like blowing like in the breeze, like a Beyonce wind fan. And I'm like, but there's no air. I'm confused <laughs> how this is happening. And there had to be air because there was lightning. Yeah. 
Okay. Anyway, yeah. as you can see. Wait, and tides. Wait. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. There was yes. And he right. rides, he crossed, like, it takes a long time to cross oh, through yeah. No Man's Land. Like, it's right. not like he just, like, zips through. So there had to be, obviously, air, because he's, like, every time he crosses, it's, like, you know, it takes a while. So, right, how yeah. long is he in there? And, like, what happens if you get trapped in there without air? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as most K-dramas, the product placement in King is alive as well, even in another dimension. So what stuck out to you? Okay, so I'm going to go with the Kahi, if that's how you say it, skincare. So that was like the balm. And I guess it was just so many times she kept taking it out. And then she's like, you know, putting on her lips and then dabbing it on her cheeks, like excessive amounts. And then she'd like show it to her coworkers. And he was like, ooh, this makes my face softer. I mean, it was just, <laughs> oh my gosh. And then she was like in the shop. And oh, yeah, when she did the, the facial spray. <laughs> and they like brought it up three times while she sprayed her face. I don't know. It was just, it was a little much for me. It, it, some of the scenes made me cringe. I I was going to say the face bomb. Like, I feel like every time Teol had like a second to relax or breathe, she was lathering up with the face ball. And then like, I think the LED face mask kind of takes the cake. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I think the brand is Cell Return. Okay, Cell Return, you got me. I wanted to know what the hell that mask was, how much it cost, and if it would shave years off of my existence. But I think Leah went into a little bit bigger of a deep dive with the mask. <laughs> oh, did I? Because <laughs> this fucking mask. Okay. <laughs> so it costs over $2,000 US. Um, oh my God. And it also weighs about a pound and a half. So that's like a decent weight to have on your noggin. <laughs> what the and- heck? In real life, in real world, Lee Min Ho is also the face of the brand. So I'm curious what came first. Like, I don't know. What do you guys think? Like the show or the endorsement? (laughs) But here's how the mask works, because y'all know I'm a skincare enthusiast and I needed to know after watching this. So, okay, think of the LED mask as it's an at-home facial device that is going to target specific skin concerns with light therapy. So it has four different modes for you to choose from to customize your facials with. And you know what, Cell Return? Look, I'm giving a shout out. Like, I want sponsorship. Like, smooth my balls, move over. (laughs) Cell Return, we are ready to shill these $2,000 masks for you. Yeah. So there's four light settings that target different skin concerns. So there's the red mode for the aging skin that helps improve skin elasticity, collagen production, whitening, and blemish removal. Then there is blue mode for that. That troubled skin and that improves skin damage and is apparently good for acne. Then there's problematic skin, which I really don't know totally how that's different from troubled skin, but it helps reduce scars and can be soothing. And then there's fast mode, which reduces the treatment time to nine minutes and cycles through all three treatments. So as much as this might seem like just an overpriced novelty, apparently this mask, which offers that light-based skincare therapy, is something like light-based skin therapy is a thing that is used in many skincare clinics and salons to amp up your regime. It can apparently boost the absorption of products and circulation and accelerate tissue repair. And you're recommended to wear it between nine minutes a day and 20 minutes a day. Reviews do say that there's truth to the hype, but $2,000 is $2,000. So I guess do you or don't? (laughs) Well, the thing is, I don't know how much the show did a good job advertising this because it seemed like every time someone put it on, they were interrupted. Like, so it didn't didn't seem like 
Do you know what I mean? Like a like a just a regular face mask. You can put it on and someone can still like talk to you and right. you can still like conduct business. Whereas every time <laughs> what was her name? Uh, the, the prime, prime minister. minister. Yeah. Every time she put it on, someone would interrupt her. And yeah. I oh, my thought was, well, that seems really inconvenient. I it's mean, like a Darth only- Vader mask. Yeah, and the only scene I liked was when Unsub put it on and was like pretending to be Iron Man. I mean, that was because he's Unsub and he's amazing. But that was the only time I really liked that mask thing. Every other time it seemed inconvenient. And see, just seeing it for me was enough to be like, what the hell is that? Yeah. I need to know. Yeah. I mean, I was immediately like, what is it? I want it. I don't even know what it is. I just want it. <laughs> I, want I, it. I, don't, I don't like things <laughs> like limiting my senses like that. Like, that's not my kink. <laughs> See, I feel like I would love, I mean, I'm not going to spend $2,000 on this mask, but I would love to put this on at night and just have my husband be like, FML. <laughs> As I like lay next to you. Like, have him walk in the room and see you laying in bed. Yeah, because like wearing the sheet masks already is like <laughs> enough to send him off. But one other hyped up uh, product placement moment that I just had to because there's so many. I mean, this is like a chef's kiss of ridiculous product placements was the bakery paris baguette and there's just this like random scene where i feel like legon basically just turns to the camera and is like mm, the bread here tastes exactly like the bread at the royal court <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing so i totally remember that scene i remember too yeah megan's favorite romance in king the eternal monarch was wudo Huan's relationship with himself so which doppelganger did you love more unsup or joe young Yes, I'm making you choose. This actually is kind of an easy choice for me. So Unsub is just the most precious person to ever be precious. I wanted so many more scenes with him. I was a little disappointed at the end. I really wanted so much more from him. So I love Joe Young for his loyalty, but Unsub was just brave and he loved his family and he took a bullet for the king just because he promised Joe Young he would. Oh, everything he did was so cute. He had this big smile and he was kind of silly and oh, I just wanted I wanted to protect him so much. I would have been his armed guard. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you with Unsub. Like he was sweet and adorable and he like took such good care of his, you know, little brother and sister and he crushed so hard on Nari and had the most endearing sort of whine to his voice, if that makes sense. Like whining is annoying AF, but not when Unsub does it. Like when he's like, oh, you know, like every time. <laughs> yeah. Like I fucking loved it. I yeah. loved it. So I'm going to say I'm team Joe Young. Unsub is adorable and was a great big brother. But y'all, Joe Young is the king's unbreakable sword. <laughs> He's the ride or die. And honestly, secret service agents are my kink. Not going to lie. Like a black suit and an earpiece. And I'm like Pavlov's dog. Plus, Joe Young gives literally the best side eye I've ever seen in my life. And his glaring. He has such glorious glaring. I second that. Wudo Juan is a certified scene stealer. So what scene do you love of his from this drama? So uh, I just can't talk enough about how much I loved Wudo Juan in this role. Like, again, I think the drama would only have benefited from having him in a lot more. So I love the scene where Lee Gon is confronted by a bunch of gangsters in Korea with a K who he'd previously beaten. So he's with Unsub, who he, I forget what happens. He either runs away or Lee Gon tells him because Lee Gon knows that like Unsub isn't like a fighter. And then as the men attack, Joe Young disguised as Unsub kind of crashes in and he beats up all the men. But he then gets recognized by, I think detectives were coming out of the building at the time. He gets recognized. So he has to pretend to be Unsub. And it's just so funny to watch Wudo Wan go from this like 
like Joe Young, I need to protect my king and all this like crazy fighting moves. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like a light switch, pretend to be Unsub, who's just a goof. And it's just the whole scene just made me completely squirm with delight. I was so happy. Because it's like Wudo Hwan playing Joe Young, playing Unsub. Yeah. Which- I mean, and I and he pulled it off like it was amazing. They were completely different people, and yes, he did it. I, yeah, I, so believable. Ah, well, let me just say one more thing because at one point Unsub has to pretend to be Joe Young, and Joe Young has to pretend to be Unsub. And even when they're dressed the same, like at that point they cut Unsub's hair, and he had to put on the whole Joe Young like like slick back hair earpiece suit. Even the way he stood, you knew he was Unsub. Like it wasn't you it's knew true. he was a he was dressed up as Joe Young and you knew and they they look they're obviously identical because yes. Wudo Wan playing the same guy but just the way he stood and his mannerisms were unsub and that's how Wudo Wan played it and yeah. I'm just like that was the acting genius. elevating the writing like the writing couldn't have carried that that was all no. all credit goes to the actor one hundred percent Leah totally agree and I loved my favorite scene is one with them together when Unsub and Joe Young say goodbye at the end and hug mm. and oh my god my heart I mean that was the true romance it really was it was the best bromance to ever bromance and it was Wudo Wan with himself and like Megan was just saying like they're he's the same guy and they're two totally different people and I believed every bit of it and I'm just yeah that was definitely that stood out to me as one of the best performances in K-drama to date. Totally agreed. Another part I loved was when Joe Young realizes that Lee Gon has also appointed Unsub as his unbreakable sword. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I, he lo- he gives such like good resting bitch face. And I feel like he's just like looking at the king like you bitch, you backstabbing traitor, even though he like obviously loves the king. And then I just also just loved that moment when we realized that his screensaver is Lee Gon's buddy pick. Yeah, like he keeps their buddy pick on his phone in their Kingdom of Korea military uniforms. And I just think it's like so cute because so cute. he's so stiff as Joe Young. But then like you see that like even though he is nothing really like Unsub, he has like there's still like little goober bits inside of him. And I like that. So can we also like give a shout out to the child actor who played him is the same child who played Blackie in <laughs> Tale of the Nine Tails. We've got a really big Tale of the Nine Tail connection. And going he on also here. is the little jujitsu boy from her private life. What else yes, is he this? Is. So is, have we seen him in more than that or has it been these three? So I saw him in, <laughs> he was the dead brother in, well, I was going to say, I wasn't sure if this was giving anything away, but it doesn't really. But in Into the Ring, there's a dead brother. Let's, I'll just say it that way. So no one, you don't really know who it is. Okay. Because he's dead when the story starts. Like, so, but obviously there's like a flashback or two and it's Blackie. And then all, <laughs> and then also like they, they have like a shot of his funeral and it's like Blackie's little picture there. I mean, that poor kid is like, he's already got like funeral pictures or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I just, we need to give this little guy shout out his name is Jung Seol so just just so you know hey Jung Seol we love you and everything you've yeah. been in but we Hardest call him working, Blackie yeah we call Hardest him a working child in South Korea <laughs> Seriously. Oh, and you, and you, like, you know who we haven't mentioned? Speaking of hardest working child, we haven't mentioned the hardest working granny in South Korea either, who is, what would you call her in this? His nanny? Kind like, of, like, visor home? Like a know. governess kind court of thing? Lady, yeah. Nanny. Court lady. Court lady. Court, court lady. Yeah, court lady. And not just like the granny of K drama, but she's also like, she shows up in more like with Lee Min Ho. Like, she's in Boys Over Flowers and. She's just all over the place. She's she's in Coffee Prince. Coffee Prince. Yeah. 
What's her name? I feel like we need to give her a shout out by name. Yeah, we do. Kim Young Uk. If you need a, not even like a, a Juma, like a granny for a drama, that's who you're calling apparently. She is known as South Korea's national grandma. According to Wikipedia. And of course, <laughs> we know it has to be true then, right? Absolutely. Like it kind of feels like family now, right? Like when you see these people like showing up in drama after drama and you just like you have a connection to them already. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I really love that too, because I think that, you know, it is a much smaller industry than we have obviously here. And so, yeah, I don't know. I do feel like I'm more invested in the actors in K-drama because yeah, like you said, they start to feel like old friends just popping up in these different roles. So Megan, your Wudo Wan love might not be at Lee Min Ho and Amy love levels, but it is up there for you. What else do you need to get off your chest about this guy? I just want to say thank you for writing this question because I do have some things to get off my chest. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so this is the deal. I haven't seen him. This this is only the second role I've seen him in, but I have a feeling he's going to shoot to like my top. And it's not just, I mean, he is incredible to look at. I mean, he has an incredibly unique face. He's just amazing to look at, but it's also his acting. So I had previously only seen him in Tempted, which is a drama that I truly only watched to the end for him because I had some overall issues with it. but And he also cried for like 70% of that drama. I mean, seriously, he cried every episode. He was such a sad sack rich boy. I can't even tell you. So I told Amy and Lee, I'm like, I need to see him in another role because I love him. Like the few times he smiled, he was captivating. And then when he was like happy, it was it was fantastic. So they said, you have to watch King. Like he's so great in it. And I'm like, even if I didn't like anything about King, it would would have been worth it to watch him play these roles as Joe Young and Unsub. You know, the vast difference in the two characters really showed his acting range. And I think Hallyu is seriously undervaluing his ability ability to be a lovable goof on top of a serious heartthrob i almost feel like his role in tempted was they made him into this like dark anti-hero and i'm almost wondering if it didn't like fit him like i i just i mean he played it great he was totally believable but now that i see what he can do in king i'm like ugh, they the, he could have been so much better if with better writing so i know he's in the service right now so i just need him to be discharged you know when his time is up and then be booked and busy for years to come because I want to watch him because he's such a magnetic force on the screen. And I want him to be like rich and happy. Basically, I want the world for him. I want him to get the next endorsement for the self-return right. mask. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And Amy, any last thoughts on King, <laughs> the eternal monarch? Not to beat a dead horse who is not Maximus. <laughs> but can I quickly mention why I want to rewrite the ending in case there are some listeners who missed the ending snack? Basically, remember that epic scene at one hour and eight minutes into episode 11 when Ligon saves Taeol after yelling to his men, protect her, she is the future queen of Korea? Yeah, no. She never becomes queen of Korea. The ending is fine, but I was promised a queen, and I want a queen, damn it. <laughs> Listen to our endings snack to get my full rewrite. <laughs> yeah. And for me, look, my take home is I love ambitious stories. I prefer people going for it and falling flat than playing it safe the whole time. But I really appreciate when an ambitious story actually has a point. So I said what I said. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when it comes to Lee Min Ho, honestly, I cannot wait for Pachinko. 
And I cannot wait to see what he is going to do in this role. I feel like I have been lurking on Instagram during the shoots. And I just feel like the role he plays is such a deeply complicated and conflicting role. And is essentially an antagonist who is not, uh, I just don't want to spoil stuff. He's, it's a very complicated role. And, you know, since he's often like such like leading man, heartthrob material, I just really feel like this is going to give him a chance to do some stretching. And I'm really excited about it. Watching be yakuza so my thoughts i agree with amy in that i was promised a queen and he get a queen it was just so weird that's again why i felt like they already had written the ending almost and then they like wrote the beginning and they had it set up to be a queen then they're like oh wait a minute that's not how we wrote it so uh just forget forget that queen scene <laughs> we're gonna keep it in because it was so epic but forget like what he said but still, I was entertained. It was beautiful. I wasn't quite as entertained as Tale of the Nine Tail. Like when it came to like action, what the fuckery, like that was, I mean, I I loved it because it was just so batshit. This didn't like take it quite far enough for me, I guess. I feel like you're going to go full batshit. Just go full batshit. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but again, it was still really beautiful and I'm glad I watched it. And I truly believe if you're a K-drama fan, it's something that you should watch. And it's also, it's referenced a lot. And I think, you know, we all know that K-dramas love to be meta. So I, and I feel like King is going to be one that's going to be referenced in future K-dramas. So let's recommend some time travel romances. So I'm going to recommend The Viking Once Forever by Coco Brown. So if you can't tell from the title, the heroine travels back in time to Viking time. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Selling this. Whatever that might be. So, well, the whole thing is that she insults Loki. Like, she's obviously, like, in modern-day America, and she's talking to friends, and she insults Loki. And she falls asleep, and when she wakes up, she's, like, in the wilderness, and she's wearing different clothing, and Loki talks to her, and he's like, you insulted me, and I'm a little mad about it, and so I need you to do this job for me, and then I'll let you go back. And the whole job is that she has to steal a stone from like a Viking warlord that he wears on a necklace around his neck. And the romance is between her and the Viking because in the end, the Viking wants to keep her. And obviously she's then conflicted about stealing this stone to give to Loki. And it's very sexy and it's a lot of fun. The heroine has a really fun voice and it's a cool story. So yeah, that's the Viking once forever by Coco Brown. Oh, it sounds like a heist. Leah will love that. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to look through my list because I don't read a lot of time travel. I kind of, I want to read more. I do like it. I think it is a very ambitious kind of thing to undertake. But I did find one that I read a few years back called The Time Between Us by Tamara Ireland Stone. And I shall read you the blurb because I don't remember much other than really liking it. So Anna and Bennett were never supposed to meet. She lives in 1995 Chicago, and he lives in 2012 San Francisco. But Bennett has the unique ability to travel through time and space, which brings him into Anna's life, and with him a new world of adventure and possibility. As their relationship deepens, the two face the reality that time may knock Bennett back to where he belongs, even as a devastating crisis throws everything they believe into question. Against a ticking clock, Anna and Bennett are forced to ask themselves how far they can push the bounds of fate, what consequences they can bear in order to stay together, and whether their love can stand the test of time. And this is a two-book duet, duology, whatever you want to call it. So Anna and Bennett's story does continue on after this book, and I really did enjoy it. 
And for me, I'm going to say that my recommendation is not a romance. I would classify it as a love story. And I am going with The Time Traveler's Wife, which is one of my favorite books. And it tells the story of Henry de Tamble, who is, with a shout out to Amy, our resident librarian, he is a very dashing and handsome librarian who involuntarily travels through time. And it's the story of his relationship with Claire Abshire, who is an artist whose life follows, you know, the natural sequential linear course. So it's all about their love story. It's set primarily in Chicago. A lot of it takes place during the 1990s in Chicago, even though it's set in other decades. It was a movie, but honestly, this is one of the things where I feel like people either like the movie or prefer the book. The movie didn't do it for me. The book is where it's at. And yeah, I felt like it was just a really cleverly constructed plot. It's got some very sad, but very beautiful moments. And I think that it's one of those books that like I kind of reread every, you know, six or seven years and always makes me happy and I'm really not a crier in books oh, um in this one <laughs> and I sobbed in this book like it is rare I cry in a book and I didn't just cry in this book I was like heaving sobs so that's what you need to know about my emotional reaction to that so that is the time traveler's wife and the author for that ugh, it's another it's like this deus what is it I'm going to say it for you Audrey Niffenegger Audrey Niffenegger. <laughs> so, I mean, Audrey Niffenegger, thank you. Great book. It is. I will I will second that. I love that book so much. And I didn't hate the movie, but yes, I agree the book was was way better and super super emotional reaction to it. I just don't think I ever saw Eric Bana as Henry. That was my problem. See, oh, and see I thought he was I thought he was a a pretty good Henry. Like I didn't mind I didn't mind the casting. Yeah, the, ha- Rachel, the casting Rachel McAdams, right? Didn't Rachel work McAdams for me. was Claire. I didn't mind it, but yeah, it's the kind of book that it's just so artfully done that I don't think a movie could do it justice. Mm. So, what are we all currently watching. I'm so excited that I am finally watching When the Camellia Blooms. I'm only two episodes in so far, but I am absolutely hooked. I am so loving Kang Hanul as a lead. He is such a goofy goober. Like, I, I mean, it's insta-love for him. And I don't usually love insta-love. Like, I'm not spoiling anything that in the very <laughs> it's first It's literally episode, the first thing. The very first episode, he sees her in a bookstore and he's like, I love her. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I love it. And I, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm just getting into it. So I definitely don't know super much of what's going on with the whole, you know, murder subplot, murder, you know, the Joker, who is the serial killer. But, uh. Yeah, I'm really liking it. I'm really excited to continue. I'm so excited because honestly, this character, if like Lee Gon is your, you know, bae, that like is like your forever fictional husband, I feel like Young Sick is mine. Megan, what are you watching? So I just finished my love from a star, my love from the star. Um, love from another the, star it's like so many it's like, a, bunch like different... a million different ways yeah like it, look i was looking for it on drama list and it's not called anything like that i forgot i forgot yeah what it is it's right like now, you it's who not... came from another something yeah yes. <laughs> okay. yeah so we're gonna talk about it coming up but it was another one of those that started off really slow for me but then i ended up really liking it I thought it was really kind of fun and unique so i'm excited to talk about that and i really liked it so i just finished that this morning so i haven't started anything i might watch i just saw this trailer for i picked up a celebrity on the street which looks kind of crazy and i think it's only 10 episodes i could be wrong but i thought that that's what i saw so i might 
try that just like a little intermission before I launch into something else because I think I'm going to do Camellia next so when the Camellia blooms which I'm also very excited about starting so I think that's going to be my next pick but I guess we'll see what I end up I was going to say please watch something in between my love from the start and Camellia because if you start Camellia now you're going to be done tomorrow and I'm going to be like I'm on episode three (laughs) yeah no I think I am I just kind of want something a little bit less like my love from another star is 21 episodes so I kind of just want something that ends a little bit quicker and isn't Camellia 20 episodes yeah it is yeah Yeah, so I just kind of want something in the middle here that's a little bit quicker so that's why I might pick up that one and it also looked just like really kind of silly and you should try holo too sometime oh yeah and I need to yeah so cute so that's what's going on i did watch into the ring recently oh i think i did mention that last podcast i do want to mention that that was a delightful drama and i really enjoyed that so we'll probably talk about that one coming up too so i'm working my way through a 20 episode art right now too and that is missang or incomplete life which is the translation which literally actually means not yet and it is a term that is used in a game called Go. And Go is not a game that we are really familiar with. It is very, very popular in East Asia, where it is competitively played kind of a bit like chess. And the main character in it is MC1, who was in Run On, who I then followed to Strangers from Hell, not because of him, but because I wanted to see Lee Dong-wook be a murderer. And I just really loved C1 in Strangers from Hell. So then I ended up jumping into Missang, which is not a romance, except in my own mind, where I like love all the characters. <laughs> and it's very much just the slice of life office drama set in Seoul. And yeah, I don't know. I just really can't say enough good things about it. I think it is a very quiet show. But every time I watch it, I feel like I leave having like deeper insight into like the human condition and experience. It doesn't hurt for me that Kong Han Noodle's in it because I really <laughs> love him. And he wears a suit real well and glasses real well. It's been a really lovely show. And I really didn't think I was going to want to watch a K-drama without romance. And now I feel like, yeah, I really think that I'm going to start to like, I do want to do some more romances after this, but like, you know, thinking of like My Mister and some other shows too, like I feel like I'm ready to like take on some of the non-romance side of things because I feel such happiness watching this one. Even though it's not like just light and fluffy, it's actually kind of gut-wrenching, especially at the beginning. I got worried like, oh my God, is this just going to be like some like make me want to like hate humanity? And I was reassured it is not. And it definitely has started to make me feel better. But God, little Siwan, he is just so precious. And I feel like, I honestly think I would have liked Run On more if I had like watched all these other things he was in to like come to see him as that character. But it's fine. I just, I think he is so precious. And I do just like his understated way that he, you know, brings a lot of nuance to a character. Yeah, I think I need to see him in something else because I don't want Ronan to be my only impression of him. And I... And I'm saying it like he was bad and run on. He wasn't. He played the character the way he was supposed to play the character. I just, you know, wasn't super invested. Yeah. And there's um, a tie to Missing. I think there's a real similarity in the roles, although he's much less powerful. He's like much more of an underdog. But Strangers from Hell, look, I cannot recommend you watching that. It is absolutely violent. And I don't think that you would appreciate me like making you watch it. But what he does in that, I feel like, oh my gosh, he was given a lot to work with and he he ran with it. Yeah, that's I have to draw the line there. I would <laughs> I wish I could I mean I, I wish I could watch it, but I can't. <laughs> you cannot I don't really think you I cannot. Yeah. <sighs> Lee Dong Wook no. eating people just Wow. <laughs> uh, I, okay, but, so you like that, but you don't like zombies. Train to Busan. <laughs> yeah, no, no, like I didn't Busan. say I didn't like Train to Busan. And I okay. 
I don't want to like drag this drama out anymore. But I think with the zombie convention, it's just kind of like this, like, I feel like zombie movies always kind of go a certain way. And it's just not like a story that I necessarily like love to be on. And Strangers from Hell kind of got more into like the psychological thriller. And at some point, look, I am happy to do like a talk about what I thought really worked in that. It was not a five out of five for me. It was probably like a 4.5 because I don't think that they did an amazing job hashing out the origin story of like what led these people. Like we kind of got why society did it. But like I kind of wanted to know more about like these specific people, like what really got them going, especially because like Lee Dong-wook was essentially groomed to become what he was by the woman who actually plays the heroine's mother in Amelia, which is interesting. But yeah, I think that there was just like a lot to be said for it. And so yeah, it was just much more of like a psychological terror of like, what do people when they are pushed down and pushed down and pushed down do? And I think that what were we saying with like zombies? I'm kind of like blanking out, but like, you know, zombies have their own metaphor. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of like, what do people do in the nature of humanity? And look, I think that's interesting too. So maybe I should watch more zombies. I don't know what it is about. zombies i think lee dong wook is not a zombie though he's like an incredibly sexy yet terrifying dentist right and i think that's why (laughs) i like stuff like zombies more because it is a metaphor and it's not something that's ever going to happen right Mm -hmm. i mean as far as i know who knows maybe you know dead deer start reanimating i'll think twice but that's the thing about psychological thrillers with me is and and the violence of it i mean it's really the violence of it I, i don't mind the psychology of it as much but it's much more realistic too like zombie violence isn't as realistic like when you kill a zombie it's gross but it's not it's fantastical gross to me yeah you know and the supporting cast of that show i mean the whole thing like all of them just knocked out of the park of just absolute creepiness plus the lighting and the dreariness like i feel like so much of when we see k-drama there's like this you know i mean they're mostly romance or even in miss saying it's like offices (laughs) but this just felt like we were in like the shit and like, you know, yeah. it really gave, well, like let you realize like, you know, there's like underbellies in all cities where, you know, people are not, you know, tables <laughs> and not Wait, even right. just tables. They're like being crushed under the boot. I'm sorry. Can I just <laughs> talk about this movie that it has like all of the things Leah dislikes, except it doesn't have Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> yes, there he is. There he is. Yeah. So I'm very excited about this movie. It's coming out on Netflix. I just looked. It's coming May 21st. Is but... it a zombie heist? <laughs> Yes. Oh, oh my god. god. Seriously? <laughs> yes, so it's called Army of the Dead and the it's 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 headlined by Dave Bautista, which I do have to tell you yeah. that my husband was in the Toronto airport and saw Dave Bautista. That's all. Just okay. my husband's scene. <laughs> okay. And they made <laughs> eyes. Well, well my husband tried ways. to say he's not that tall in real life. I'm like, shut up. He's <laughs> so full of it. But anyway. <laughs> So this is the, it's called Army of the Dead, and this is the description on Netflix. After a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, a group of mercenaries takes the ultimate gamble by venturing into the quarantine zone for the greatest heist ever. That is amazing. No, you have to watch the trailer. It is amazing like it has everything i want like i you know me like i oh my god like the zombies are like it's called army of the dead because the zombies are more intelligent they like can form packs like fighting like the uh, i don't know formations or whatever and there's also a zombie tiger yeah it's we netflix st- army of the dead all i'm saying is i will be watching that may 21st and don't worry i won't i'll maybe have to mention it on the podcast just because so my bay lehman hose drama the king eternal monarch is bookended by smooth my balls <laughs> And, uh, and zombie heist. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hope, but I hope it was still hot for so, you. 
Yeah. Yes. Definitely. So well, on that note. <laughs> well, hold on. Well, I just going to say next episode, we yeah. are talking about what I just watched, which was my love from another star. We're very excited to talk about it because I think there's just a lot to cover <laughs> and we have a lot of things to say about it. So please tune in for that. All right. And that's it for tonight. So. Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!